0: Yeah, we're going to be talking about some really interesting stuff. We're going to talk about dating apps, something called rejection mindset, forgiveness, executive control, and some of the influences that can make some people better at maintaining relationships than others. Hello, and welcome to Psych in the City. I'm your host, Sarah Kelleher. Today, I am speaking with Dr. Tila Pronk. Tila is a psychologist and researches relationships, and we're going to be talking about a few of her articles. Uh, I found Tila's work when I was researching studies about dating apps and how they may impact our perception of dating in general and our satisfaction in relationships. A little bit about Dr. Tila Pronk before we begin. Dr. Tila Pronk is an assistant professor in social psychology at Tilburg University in the Netherlands, specializing in love and relationships. She received her doctorate with honors, studying why some people are better able to protect and maintain a relationship than others. Since then, she's been studying all phases of love and attraction. She is an expert in forgiveness, infidelity, attraction, and online dating. In addition to her work as a scientific researcher, Tila wrote a Dutch popular press book on the psychology of love, and she regularly appears on TV and and radio. For example, as an expert on the TV program Married at First Sight, in 2021, Tila was elected best university lecturer at Tilburg University. You can find her on Instagram at Tila T I L A Pronk, Twitter at Tila Pronk, and LinkedIn. All of Tila's work that we discussed today is listed in the show notes. And as always, you can find me on Instagram at BK, or you can reach out to me on my website at sarah-kelleher.com. Okay. So today I'm speaking to Dr. Tila Prong. Hello. Hi. <laughs> so, so Tila, tell us about who you are and what you do. And I found you because I was actually researching, um, how dating apps impact. I didn't use the word choice, but it was like basically how dating apps impact our feelings of rejection. And one of your articles that you wrote had come up. And then I started reading your other articles and I really liked your work. So I invited you on the podcast. So, so tell us a little bit about, you know, who you are, what you research, um, your topics of interest, your life, go for it. (laughs)
1: okay well first off thank you so much for inviting me it's so cool to uh be on this podcast i'm very honored uh, and happy that you found me as also um so about me uh, my name is dila um i live in the netherlands um and i'm a psychologist um so i studied psychology and i did my phd in social psychology um and from the moment actually for as long as i can remember My interest has been on relationships. So I am just super, super interested and passionate about love and relationships, how they work. Uh, They are so impactful in our lives. I felt that from when I was a very young kid on and I watched like the relationships of of, um, of the relationship of my parents and also of the parents of of, uh, my friends and my parents are still together still at the very moment today they're still together and making each other happy and I you know I always thought that was normal and now I know that's not normal (laughs) I am extremely blessed and lucky to have two parents that still love each other and I grew up in this very well functioning loving warm home Uh, and I thought that that would sort of Yeah, and also learning about psychology, the psychology of love and relationships, I thought that would be just the protective factor of my life, and it sort of has been, but also I've been struggling personally. I also personally struggle with relationships, so that's just something that I've always wanted to study. I did my PhD on this topic, so specifically I studied um, why that is, so why are some people successful in relationships while others fail? and that was sort of the main question that was driving me. So is there some sort of trait? Is there a certain attribute that you need to have in order to make relationships work? And that is what I studied, and that's also where executive control uh, comes into play, and I guess we'll talk more about that later on. So, and as for my PhD, I've just been studying love and relationships, but then much more in, in different phases. So also studying attraction studying online dating and um so basically love and relationships in um, uh, in a broader view I, you know, i'm sure you get this question all the time but what is the
0: secret so what is the difference between people who are able to have long and lasting successful happy relationships versus people who it's difficult for them a lot of your research is about forgiveness executive control and self-control which said which i think is interesting because i've i've i read a lot about self-control, but not as much when it's applied to relationships and how it impacts our relationships with other people. So I thought that was super interesting in terms of your work. So so what is the secret? What, <laughs> what is the secret that you found in your research? And I guess, what was your opinion when you started versus what is your opinion now and how that's changed?
1: Yeah, um, well, first of all, there's of course not one difference. You know, there's many differences that set uh, good partners aside from bad partners. And it always begins with, the intention that someone has so does somebody intend to be a good partner you need to be motivated in order for a relationship to work mm. if you are not committed to your partner if you don't really like the relationship if you are sort of attractive to someone else or you know for whatever reason you're not into that person anymore then you're going to be a shitty partner so that is like the very first thing and that's also something we already knew it also makes a lot of sense, obviously. So um, for me, that was sort of a given. I knew that you needed to have that motivation. You needed to have that drive in order to make your relationship work. But I also, when I started doing my research, I noticed that even when people, some people are super motivated to be good partners. They really want their relationship to work. They love their partners. They wanna go to full lengths, all lengths to make the relationship work, but they still fail. And that was where my interest started. So, yeah. if you are motivated and you seem to be failing, what is going wrong there? And that is where my research comes in. So, I started studying that. And my, you know, uh, uh, my idea was that apart from motivation, you also need some sort of capacity. It is not always easy to make good decisions in relationships. Just like it's not always easy to make decisions in any aspect of your life, you know, you might be very dedicated to your career, and very willing to know, you know, to go for it, and be a good employee, and, and get that, 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 that big uh, success, Uh, but in order for that to work, we all need, know that you also need some sort of discipline, you need to, you know, show up, go to work, be dedicated, also, sort of, inhibits the impulse to sleep in or to go uh, have drinks with your friends and and you know get drunk and and be you know not successful at work so you need discipline in in that area of your life just like if you want to be healthy and you want to feel good and maybe lose weight or for whatever reason you want to be very into sports you also need discipline so I thought maybe that's also something you need in your relationship maybe you need to have the ability to resist, resist certain, you know, destructive urges, destructive impulses in order for that relationship to thrive. And I started studying that. And that was sort of the, in the essence, what I found is that indeed you need discipline and a, sort of a better word for it is, well, the, the thing I studied is that you need executive functioning or executive control in order for a relationship to work. Um, and that is sort of, um, I think, uh, the secret or at least something that I revealed in my work, what has, what has really impacted also, uh, the field of, of relationships, I guess.
0: So explain. So, well, two questions. First is executive control and executive functioning in this context considered the same thing.
1: Yes. Are they used interchangeably? Yeah.
0: And then I use them interchangeably. Yeah. Okay. And then tell us what executive control is in relation yeah. to like in general, what is, what, what does it mean? What does executive control yeah.
1: mean? Well, what it basically means is the having the ability to sort of inhibit your first impulse mm. and alter your behavior so that it sort of uh, matches your long-term uh, goals. Mm. So does that make sense? So yes, every very moments you need to resist something. You need to resist the first impulse, the first automatic Tendency, and you need to not do that and instead change your behavior. So you need to control your behavior. That's also why I prefer the word executive control. You need to control your, your automaticity basically Mm. and uh, inhibit that and change it to make sure that your behavior matches your long-term goal. So is
0: your thought that humans, even with, you know, stellar up upbringing, you know, not a history of trauma, like, you know, all things fall perfectly into place. And for how this person is supposed to develop is your thought that humans regardless have a tendency to engage in destructive behaviors, even with no, even with no trauma and no, you know, nothing predisposing them to a behavior like humans have a tendency to lean into a more self-destructive behavior pattern.
1: That's a wonderful question. Um, yes, uh, I think uh, in, up to a certain point, we all know this. We all know uh, what it's like to fight these urges. We all know what it's like if you maybe have a health goal and uh, you are presented right. with a, a, a beautiful, delicious chocolate brownie. And you sort of made it a deal with yourself that you would, you know, you would take not intake sugar for for a certain period of time. That that's hard, you know, because we all have that urge to go for that brownie, just like we all have the urge to go outside on a beautiful sunny day, uh, or uh, you know, go out with friends if they ask us. While well, we know we should be working on a specific deadline, so that's something we all know. But people differ to a great degree in how strong they experience these urges. Mm. And that's also something I found in my work. So uh, I think the most easy example in uh, in the domain of relationships is um, attraction, attraction to alternatives. So attractions to people other than your partner, if you're in a monogamous relationship, of course. So if you made a deal with your partner that you would be monogamous, exclusive, um, then uh, for some people that deal is quite easy to you know, to keep. They don't really have they know, well, this is a beautiful person. I I can see that, you know, objectively speaking, this is this person looks good. Yes, I can imagine that it would be nice to go out with this person or flirt or even kiss or or have sex with this person, but they don't really experience this very strong urge, they are very inhibited from like a personality trait. Mm. And other people are way more impulsive, they really have to fight that urge, you know, and that that differs. So that's also why. Infidelity is, you know, um, how, um, how much of how much blame you, you, you put in the person. Of course, if you made an agreement to be faithful to each other, then that is something that you just have to keep. Uh, otherwise, you should make different arrangements if that's something that you, you know, no longer desire. But right. If you have that arrangement, you should try to keep it. But for some people, it's really, really much harder to keep that arrangement to, you know, make sure to be exclusive than for others because they just have stronger desires. Just like some people like chocolate more than others. You know, they don't fight so hard to resist that brownie than than other people. So uh, there, yeah, we all know it, but we also have differences, uh, individual differences. Mm. So in one of your articles,
0: it's, the title is how can you resist executive control Helps romantically involved individuals stay faithful. Yeah. So let's say I am aware that I have issues with executive control or actually, no, my first question is what are signs potentially, or like, is there a way to know if I have an difficulty with executive control, or is it something that maybe I discover, um, along the way when I continuously have problems with my relationships? Is that how people like Make that assumption for themselves.
1: Um, yeah, I guess we all sort of know it uh, hmm. from ourselves. Basically, how disciplined you are. That that is. It's not the same, definitely not, because I measured it differently. I have certain cognitive tasks that I do in order to test people's level of executive control. But um, another way of measuring it, and that would be more self control or self regulation, um, is you know, um, there's this sh- this short questionnaire with items like. I find it very hard to resist temptation or uh, I'm a bit lazy or I have a difficult time um, uh, living up to, uh, to people's expectations or uh, keeping up my, uh, my um, appointments or making sure that I uh, keep, keep my deal or you know uh, items like that. And people know f- for themselves uh, whether or not they are rather impulsive and, and have difficulties uh, resisting temptation or not. Mm. Um, so you can know it a little bit. Uh, you can also see it in different aspects of your life. Uh, like if you have very a uh, very hard time um, to quit smoking, for example, or quit other bad habits that you may have, um, or you know uh, uh, keeping deadlines, all the all those traits are they are all related. so they all sort of uh, show or demonstrate a little bit uh, of your level of executive functioning
0: but you could be highly motivated in more in other areas versus other parts, which then that's why maybe like someone is highly motivated to remain in a relationship and committed to a relationship despite being unable to maybe keep their goals when it's related to work or another personal goal that they have that, that happens. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So that, that's, that makes all the difference. Like if you really don't care about eating healthy or, you know, working out or being, being fit, then you're like, yeah, I never, I just eat whatever I want. And, and I don't, don't make an effort. Then of course that that's not, that's not a good uh, representation of your level of executive control. So you need to make sure that it's an area in which you have a certain long-term goal. And if you just see that you continuously struggle with this reaching that goal, then that's, that can be a sign that your executive control is uh, on the lower side or temporarily on the lower side, because it also really depends on your current state. That's also important to realize. So if you are in a period of your life where you struggle with uh, insomnia or sleep deprivation or uh, stress levels, then we all suffer. So then it's, then, then it's just harder. Our executive Mm -hmm. control is just diminished because we are under continuous strain, basically. That makes sense.
0: So in your research with the, when, you know, when you were researching the difference with people who are highly motivated to stay in relationships yet still struggle with basically being successful in their Mm -hmm. relationships, you found that the difference was often with executive control in, in, in addition to other, you know, individual differences, but, but primarily the difference was executive control.
1: Yeah, that was the topic of my research. So yeah. I studied, so I measured people's individual level of executive control, and I have certain tasks for that. Uh, maybe it's, it's nice to describe one of these tasks so you get an idea of what I did with my, with my, my participants. So um, you might know this task. It's called the Stroop Task, and it's a task in which you see color words, like the word red or blue or green, and uh, that is printed in a certain type uh, color ink. So you might see the word red, but then the color of the ink is blue, okay? So you see that, you can, you can just picture that. Okay. And then the task of the, the participants was not to read what it said, so it said the word red, but to name the color of the ink. So they had to say out loud blue when they saw the word red in blue ink, okay? Mm. So then if you see the word green, for example, in yellow ink, they had to say yellow. And other um, uh, of these words uh, were, for example, brown, but then in the color brown. That's a very easy thing to do. If you see the word brown written down in color brown, then that's just that's compatible, it's congruent. So that's yeah. very easy. And uh, for peop- for everybody, it's harder to mention or to, to correctly state the name of the ink, of the color of the ink when it's incongruent. So mm-hmm. if you see the word red in green ink, that's harder for everyone because we have this automatic tendency to read out loud what we see. We are readers. So we, reading is, for, for a lot of people at least, automatic behavior. So you need to control the impulse to read what you see and instead uh, perform the task correctly, which is name the color of the ink. And how well people are in doing this task predicts how well they can resist the temptation to flirt with an attractive person, they meet in a waiting room, when they are in a romantic relationship interesting
0: interesting so let's say I'm super committed to my relationship I love my partner I am happy but I still struggle with keeping in the bounds of our relationship our like agreed upon relationship terms how can I improve can people improve their executive control and as a result like you know be better in the relationship? Like, is there a way to do that for people that maybe have the tendency to not be, not have a higher executive control or be less disciplined or engage more in behaviors that they know will lead them to not, that are not aligned with their long-term goals of remaining in the relationship, if that's what they want to do. Yeah. Like, is there a way to improve yeah.
1: that? Yeah um well very very nice question that's also sort of the obvious follow-up question after i did my dissertation i was like okay now i know this i want to see if i can improve people's executive control and and see where that takes me it turned out to be more difficult than i actually wished it would be so we know that for example for the task that i just described with the color words yes you can train people people can become better in those tasks right but that does not necessarily mean that that generalizes into your behavior so Mm. It's really hard we know that that pretty much every cognitive um, ability can be trained Our brain is like a muscle so you, you can improve just like intelligence can improve if you continuously train it's something that we can do we have a flexible brain so yes in a certain to a certain extent I think you could improve it I still don't know I haven't tested because it's very elaborate elaborate study to mm. see whether that really helps improve relationships in the long run as well. I have I cannot tell you that. I I I would presume it would, but maybe not like a whopping effect. That's sort of my my prediction. Right. Like uh, you
0: can practice the the things, but yeah. it doesn't necessarily change your inherent disposition.
1: Yes, indeed. So, and that's also because, you know, I've been, of course, this the research that I did for my dissertation is about 10 years ago. So I've also been, been changing my own views of relationships and what is needed to be a good partner. And mm. I think, first of all, it's very good to know yourself. And for example, also know that you're struggling with sort of uh, resisting temptations or, and, or have these strong urges. So when it comes, for example, for example, to infidelity, It's very important for your partner to know to what extent you're struggling with this, because especially if you if you are different than your partner, if you have a partner, for example, that's very easily faithful. That's just not a flirt at all that can just, you know, sit in a bar with a gazillion beautiful people and don't not, you know, not even look up. So, and then you might be very different and really struggle to be faithful, then that's that's a, a, a topic that you should be discussing in your relationship. Not, you know, to get permission from your partner to flirt or, or cheat or whatever, but just for your partner to know that this is effortful, you know, this is hard for you. And it might not be hard for your partner. So I think conversation is is such an important tool for also for your partner to understand why, you know, uh, this you can slip you know you can sometimes maybe it will go wrong for you and um for your partner that might be huge because your partner's like how I, you're not i'm not even looking at other people and like, how can't you relate. can know, yeah. uh, in that situation so it's it, that's the first very important thing that you need to know you need to know yourself you need to talk to your partner if you know that you're struggling with something and it can be infidelity, but it can also be something else. Maybe you're always late for appointments. Maybe you're always showing up late. And that can be interpreted as a sign of disrespect. You know, your partner, if someone is very punctual and very easily punctual, it just always comes on t- in time.
0: Mm.
1: And it can be interpreted as you don't respect me, you know, what are you not like, even taking the effort to show up on time, but it might be really difficult for you to do that, so you need to inform your partner about your weaknesses and, and be open and also for them to have a realistic view of what they can expect from you, uh-huh. um, because otherwise you can you just end up disappointing your partner and also feeling like a shitty person all of the time. So I think that's that's something that that really sort of that I sort of discovered along the way in these uh, years.
0: I agree. And especially I think when it comes to infidelity, that's maybe a topic that people shy away from even more. Like, hey, I potentially like, Not that I am going to be unfaithful, but like more like I am more of a flirter, I am more of a these things like I think that is a conversation that people have a difficult time acknowledging differences in when it comes to their partnerships, and I agree with you it should come up because you're just acknowledging differences and like ultimately you can problem solve together when you know the situation better but I think people don't want to acknowledge it because then it doesn't exist and then it's easier to just ignore and then you end up like going backward when if if and when it happens then it's like well it was never discussed so yeah that's really that's really I mean communication over everything I think is what a lot of relationships you know people who study relationships say which it makes sense for why you also did You also did an interesting thing, which I wanted to talk about in terms of um, how executive control relates to forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really interesting because I mean, being in a, (laughs) being in a long-term relationship myself, I think I am learning more and more that forgiveness is a huge part, um, even in like small slights that I interpret as as being slights, you know, when they're not or or whatever, just like you're dealing with another human, it's going to be, there's stuff is going to come up even in the best of relationships. And so, so I think, you know, what does it take to forgive? Like, how do we, how forgiveness I think is an inherent part of being in a long-term relationship. I just think it has to exist. So like, if our tendency is to not, be so forgiving of people and of others like what what does it take to forgive like how mm-hmm. do we forgive people
1: yeah wow this is a very good <laughs> question again. so uh, first off you're completely right so without the ability to forgive you cannot be in a long-term relationships we are bound to hurt each other that's just what happens if we if we get close the only way to make sure you don't get hurt is to not get close to somebody so it's just part of the deal if you it's part of the it deal, is. if you're in a relationship and you're intimate with each other and you're close, then you're going to hurt the other person and you're going to get hurt. Uh, that's just what happens. So um, the, the point is, of course, how do you deal with that and how do you make sure? Because, of course, the one thing that you need in a relationship in order for it to work is trust. So you need to make sure that you trust this person enough to get close again. And if you really feel hurt, you feel deeply Uh, hurt by a person then uh, forgiveness needs to take place before you can get to reach that that same level of closeness uh, again so um, I think um, what is needed is first of all you need to know that this person won't do it again or at least that that's not the intention of this person to hurt you again Mm. so uh, there's definitely work from the perpetrator to put it that way in order to allow you to enter this process of forgiveness because it's it's a road you know forgiveness is not something you just decide to do you can ask yeah first maybe very slight uh, things that happen so person showing up five minutes late or whatever right. yes so you for can larger you don't get over it you know right. but if something really happens that hurts you you're you, you feel betrayed you feel mistrusted you feel like abused maybe even or hurt or not whatever. Uh, Then you need to go through a process of forgiveness. And that starts with seeing that the person that hurt you has the intention to set things straight again. So uh, for a lot of people, that means that they have to feel that the partner is sorry. So an apology is always a very important starting point for a process of forgiveness to occur. And that should be an actual apology. It should not be a bullshit apology. Not like, right. yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. You know, get over it. That's makes not it a worse. Problem. Yeah, right. It makes it worse. <laughs> it's like shut up and get over yourself. You know. Totally. So you need to feel like this person is not only saying sorry, but they also, you you know, you see in their faces, you you know that this person understands the hurt that you've been put through. So you need to talk about what happened, and if you feel hurt, you need to open up and say what. What what uh, what it costs? What psychological uh, process, or what what are you experiencing deep down, and what what is that hurt like for you? How what are you how are you feeling at the moment? And you need to talk about that with your partner, and then if you can, your partner can see that and offer apologies. Then you can enter this process of uh, forgiveness. And the moment we feel hurt. We have, we also have two destructive urges that immediately pop up and that's why I got interested in forgiveness to begin with because we know that the moment we get hurt, there are two things that you can decide to do or not even decide that just pops up first thing. Is walk away. You know, we want to move ourselves away from the situation. We move, want to move, remove ourselves from the person, the source of the hurt, basically. Oh, so that's one one automatic tendency that people can have: going away, avoiding the other person, avoiding the relationships, even breaking up. You know, that that might be sort of the ultimate way of avoiding uh, your partner. And the second thing is getting revenge. that just accelerates everything of course so if you have been cheated on by your partner you're like okay well i'm hitting town tonight and i'll see you know what can happen so these are the two sort of the automatic destructive urges that happen to us when we feel hurt and that differs for i'm an avoider you know if if i feel hurt i just go away i just remove myself from the situation but other people might have this this automatic tendency to get revenge Mm. so uh, in my research on executive control, I, I, I was interested in these urges and I, in my research it I showed that for people to be able to forgive, they need to get over these first uh, first impulses. So uh, again, they need to be able to inhibit these urges and uh, transform these responses into forgiveness. And forgiveness basically means you know I am getting past that. I, I'll, I'm, uh, you know I'm moving forwards, I can embrace you as a partner again, and I fully trust you." That's a big thing. You know, you don't easily end up there. It takes a lot of work, especially for deep hurts, of course. So, um, and the only way you can get there is first of all, for your partner to show that he or she is trustworthy and and, and worthy of your love. And secondly, for you to be able to move past these first urges. Um, so one very, very nasty thing that often happens Uh, to us is that we ruminate so we get into these these nasty thinking habits even when we know that our partner is deeply sorry you know we want to move on with the relationship but we just feel like we're stuck and that's in one of my studies I showed that this rumination the ruminative patterns that people can feel stuck in these are blocking your forgiveness uh, process this is blocking your forgiveness process so people need to actively stop ruminating (laughs) And in order to get to this, uh, to that uh, end stage of, uh, of forgiveness.
0: Which is easier said than done, though. Yes. yes.
1: <laughs> it's
0: really, it's really something. Yeah. So you studied rumination and how it also impacts the process of forgiving someone for either an indiscretion or, or a fight or something that was said mm-hmm. or something, because yeah. what will happen is that we you know, the, the act will occur. And Mm -hmm. then we begin to really ruminate over it, which then leads us further away from forgiveness rather than closer to forgiveness. Yes.
1: Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Then like, are there different like stages of forgiveness in the process? Like, you know, how there's stages of grief. Like, is there stages of forgiveness? Like maybe they're in the, you know, they have that foundation of trust but they something still happens so then maybe they're further along and like is there a set process or it's different for every person
1: i think it is a little bit different and like grief it also is not a linear line so it's Mm. not like you just grow into but you, you can go back there you know you can go back to that feelings of avoidance or revenge and you know it's not especially again especially for deep hurt it's like it's not something that is solved it's also not forgiveness is not on or off, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a line, it's, a, it's also how I measure forgiveness is, is on a scale from one to seven, How, mm. how measure, it's not one or zero, you know, so it's not did you forgive this person, yes or no, that's, how, what is your level of forgiveness towards that person in this very moment? And we see that, so in one of my studies, I uh, measured people immediately, I me- measured their forgiveness levels over time, so I measured what happened immediately after they got hurt by a partner so how does forgiveness evolve over time and um one of the things I, I found was that indeed forgiveness grows over time so a little bit in line with this saying that time heals all wounds i was just gonna yes you know, it helps it helps to move forward for things to to elaborate but um it's not it's not the same um, slope for everyone so some people Increase forgiveness, but just a really little bit over time. So they basically sort of get stuck. And other people are more successful in their forgiveness trajectory, and they are able in five weeks' time to really increase their forgiveness level and come back and restore the relationship and restore the trust in their relationship. And, well, the the key uh, difference between those people was executive control. So it's the people with higher levels of executive control that have more successful forgiveness trajectories with higher levels of forgiveness uh, quicker over time.
0: Basically meaning that they have more like, they put more effort into forgiving, which and like disciplined approach to forgiving their partner, which then makes it like it's a it's an effort to forgive someone.
1: It is an effort. Yes. It's not something that just magically happens. It takes work. And that's also something that is maybe a bit, i mean, you know, I'm a relationship scientist and it's, it's a bit, you know, boring to say it, but relationships take work, like everything else in your life. If you want a relationship to be successful, you need to invest, you need to invest time, you need to put in efforts, you need to work through difficult feelings. And uh, so it takes motivation and then your executive control helps you to eventually get there.
0: And I imagine too, that, like you said, if the partner um, that, or the perpetrator, let's say, in whatever Mm -hmm. scenario, um, or let's say it's both partners as well, like effort has to be put in on the partners and which I imagine facilitates forgiveness as well. Because if I'm choosing to forgive you and doing all this work, but your behavior is still being the same way, I imagine that the, the process is halted or at least, or at the very least, like not as, Fast or is not as linear as it could be because yeah. the you're not doing anything for change behavior you know yeah. like it's still happening why
1: would I good point you? and as, I, actually also more research has been done after I did my dissertation by other uh, other scholars that showed that executive control is not you know blindly leading to better relationships no executive control helps us to be healthy so right. it all depends is up to what extent is this relationship healthy for for you you know if your partner is not is not good for your health it's not good for your well-being is being a shitty partner then your executive control is not going to help you out and And your forgiveness
0: can is shot to shit because they're just going to keep doing a million things
1: yeah yeah and we also know that forgiveness for a long time has been seen as sort of the holy grail of relationships And I object that, you know, it's it's and we also know that people, some people are very forgiving and they end up in shit relationships where they just get hurt over and over again. So forgiveness in itself is not necessarily a good thing. You know, you need to you need to know what is this? Where is this bring Where's this leading you to just like having a very um, ambitious lifestyle with with, you know, working a lot and being very disciplined in work that's not blindly a good thing. You know, if you don't have anything else in your life and you end up completely burned out and you don't have friends, you don't have a social life. Where's that all oh, this work ethic bringing, you know, it's, you know, it's, you always have to see the perspective. You always have to zoom out and see what is this bringing you in terms of your mental health and, and your sometimes even your physical health. Yeah.
0: Right. You have to be d- disciplined and have self-control related to balance as well. Yes. It's like, if you have a partner who you are constantly forgiving, but they don't, they're not really deserving of forgiveness. That's not necessarily a useful way to forgive. That's yeah. just giving people too many chances when they're clearly not stepping up to the plate.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you also
0: study a lot of self-control and tell me is, is self-control and executive control the same thing?
1: It's pretty much the same thing. It's just measured differently but uh, in the end it's sort of it's self-control is more of sort of um i think the um it's measured differently so it's measured with a questionnaire instead of with the task that it just is described um so but uh, the end goal is the same so self-control also helps us to um, uh get to long-term goals that we have in our lives so uh, i think there's a lot of overlap and um yeah it's just easier to measure because you don't need the task, but you can use the questionnaire.
0: So in, how do people stop ruminating in terms of if there was um, an indiscretion or there was a, a conflict that, that, that came about?
1: Yeah. How do people stop ruminating on? It's always very hard to talk about specific examples because, you know, there's so much variation in, in storylines. And of course, in this specific case, I don't, I, I'm immediately like super curious what is going on, <laughs> why, is, why is, because if someone really ha- remains, you know, uh, holds this grudge and feels like, you know, it's not, it's not feeling right. It's not, I cannot move past it there's multiple things that can be going on first of all maybe the infidelity is not over maybe Mm. you just have a very good sense and a very good instinct like this is i'm being screwed you know this is not the end of it maybe this partner hasn't uh, been able to offer sincere apologies maybe you just don't really you're not convinced that this partner is really seeing your hurts and that's why you get back and back and back into it Mm. so that's one explanation it can also be that indeed this person is struggling with with uh ruminative thoughts, uh, lack of executive control and just cannot move through it. Mm. And then it's something that this person might, um, can, uh, you know, need help with. And one, I think very, very interesting thing that I also discovered is, is that mindfulness is actually wonderful. It can really help us in getting through uh, a process, a, a stage of, of grief or a process of forgiveness Because it's not about saying no to these feelings, you know, saying no to the thoughts, just telling yourself, discipline yourself, you know, stop thinking about it. That doesn't work. It never works. You know, tell yourself when you're lying in bed, go to sleep now, go to sleep now. You know, you won't sleep forever. So that's (laughs) not that's not helping. Uh, What you need is you need to accept, you know, what comes up and you need to accept the feelings that that, you know, come to mind. Um, But then also know that they are they will decrease in intensity over time and that's what sort of normally happens in the beginning all our feelings are super intense when we got hurt and they should be because you are being threatened your alarm system is going off and you know you are threatened in the relationship just like a bear just attacked you you know that's how it feels if you're betrayed So, you know, be angry, be sad. That's all very, it's worthwhile. If you don't feel that, then something is up, you know, so it's good that you have all these feelings, Mm -hmm. but if you are in a good relationship and you feel that your partner is in the end, you know, valuable and worthy of your trust again, then under normal circumstances, the time would be able to, to, to heal it. And your conversations with your partner and your feelings would get lower and lower. And sometimes you would go back to that revenge or back to the avoidance, but in the end, you would be able to reach that level of, uh, of forgiveness. And yeah, as I mentioned, if that's not happening, then multiple things can be going wrong here.
0: Right. It's such a case by case that there's so many factors that contribute. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You also did a study, which I thought was interesting, um, in related to examining change in self-control and forgiveness over the first four four years, I believe of marriage. Um, and actually you found that both of those things increased. Is that right? And which is interesting because I don't know. I mean, we often hear like, Oh, like, you know, resentments build over time when you're in long-term relationships and that like you know you're free to be yourself more when you're in a commit I I don't know I feel like there's this negative connotation sometimes Uh towards like marriage and like commitment but in terms of how it affects behavior or at least perception of the relationship like oh we're married so I can like let myself go or some kind of thing. Um, But you found that forgiveness for a partner increases over time with marriage, which I thought was interesting. Were you surprised by that or did that make sense to you?
1: I was, I was rooting for that effect to happen. (laughs) I was hoping that it would be there Um, and also a bit skeptical to be honest just like you mentioned but what is very important for this study to realize is that the group of participants that we studied were really special they were newlyweds in the Netherlands where it's not very normal to get married so uh, in the sense that you know people get married but it's not a, a given you know a lot of people get married like 10 years into a relationship after having kids it's like a a very active decision. It's not. It's not something that just you know happens or or is very um, standard in in, uh, in in the Netherlands. So uh, for these couples that we studied, they were super in love. So they just committed to each other. They got married, and they were exceptionally happy with each other. So that's the subset of people that we studied. Is people that were really really super duper happy with each other. And for those couples that have this very solid strong background so they they are really happy together they are making each other uh, happy for these people they sort of seem to be using their relationship as a training ground to increase uh, forgiveness and self-control over time um so i i guess that's not happening for everybody Mm. and it really depends on the quality of your relationship but if you are in a high quality relationship then you can, you know, um, become a better per- partner over time because you have such a good relationship mm-hmm. and your partner is is worthy of that forgiveness, is worthy of your discipline of, of showing up. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, and I, I, I love that finding.
0: <laughs> Do, so in terms of like, let's say we're dating someone who holds a lot of grudges, maybe, maybe unreasonably holds grudges. Cr- grudges, not even towards us, but just for other people in their life. Is that something that could impact our self-control and our forgiveness? Or like, let's say like, if they, we, if like we get in a fight and they have difficulty forgiving me, does that mean that my forgiveness towards them will be impacted? Or like, if we're dating somebody with maybe, um, less self-control does that impact our self control like do they work in tandem or does that like did you do did you have any research on that
1: i don't know if i have very strong evidence for that we oh, we know that definitely you know the dynamics of a relationship impacts us we are not the same person in every relationship and some people have the ability to you know bring out the best in us and others just bring out the the worst part of us you know mm-hmm. i've been in relationships where i've just been a shitty person because i this is not it's not working. I was mistrusting this person was, you know, not not worthy of my trust and my love. I was just being bitter and uh, expecting the worst of him, and I also got the worst of him. So you know, mm. that's and and that's that's definitely you are impacting each other. And we also know that um, it's, for example, being in a bad relationship can. I'm not sure if it can impact your self esteem. Oh, sorry, your self control generally. But we definitely know that it it impacts your attachment style. So are you able to um, healthily, you know, securely attach yourself to a new partner? That really depends on on your past experiences and past relationships. So, yes, our our partners shape us. And that happens in in informal relationships and in current relationships And what I really love is that we are, as humans, super flexible and we can we always get a second chance or a third chance or a fourth chance to to get into a relationship that is healthy. And that relationship can rebuild us and can restore our our healthy patterns and healthy beings. So just to close on the forgiveness
0: portion before we move. So in your um, in the article it says discusses the cognitive underpinnings of the forgiveness process. So like, is there a set of like a cognitive happenings that happen in forgiveness? or does that make
1: sense what I'm asking? Yeah, I guess so. I'm just not sure what I would answer now. I, know <laughs> I, would, I would have answered 10 years ago, but, um, okay. I'm so just...
0: tell me what you would have answered 10 years ago and then tell me what you would think about answering <laughs> so,
1: Um, I would have said that definitely forgiveness is a cognitive process that you need to work through is that you need to discipline yourself in order to get to that final stage of, of forgiveness. What I would add now is that it takes more than just discipline. It takes more than cognitive efforts. It's also about acknowledging your emotions and also seeing what your emotions are showing you. If you have a lack of forgiveness then your alarm signal might still be triggered why is that why are you still so alarmed why are you not being able to move past this this feeling of hurt in a way your emotions are protecting you from from future hurts and if you don't seem to be able to forgive then it's very important to reflect and search for the deep down causes that are are blocking your forgiveness process and you need to learn to listen to your emotions and that's something that's yeah that's something that uh, that's that i didn't see i guess 10 years ago and didn't acknowledge to the extent that i see that now
0: because then you have to look at because if you're really struggling to forgive your partner then you have to take it's it's not just being you know cognitively looking at everything, you have to also examine why these emotions continue to come up for you and what has impacted your emotions and what's going on in the relationship that are contributing to the, you know, all of these types of things that may be contributing to the inability to truly forgive, for, to move through the forgiveness, right? Yes,
1: absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm.
0: So last kind of questioning, um, you also did, which is how I found you, like I said, a study regarding, um, online dating and how yeah. it causes or, you know, causes a rejection mindset. The article yeah. is called a rejection mindset choice overload and online D- dating. And I thought this was super interesting. I mean, it makes a lot of sense, but so tell us about like your findings you've studied online dating and basically yeah. how, despite the availability of online Dating and that we have more options than ever. People are also more single than ever. Yeah. Yeah. And so tell me about tell me about what the research and what you found and what what just what you liked about it and what was interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah so um, what you just mentioned that was sort of the trigger for me. So how is it possible that today. We have so many possibilities to meet each other, you know, to find each other, at least, uh, online. We don't even have to go out anymore. You know, we have this pandemic and you can still meet people because you can just open, you know, open your phone, open your dating apps and start swiping. But still, there are more people single now than ever. And partly that is just beautiful because being able to be single, you know, is something that's reflective of the changes in our society. Uh, for a long time, it would it would be so frowned upon to even be single in a certain... When you reach a certain age, then you should have settled down and got married and it's fantastic that that's well it's, it's still sort of there I, I see that but it's definitely less than it used to be like a couple of decades ago so we have more freedom of choice. Do we want to be in a relationship yes or no and I think that is definitely also reflected in 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 society that more people are actively choosing to be single. But then if you ask single people, so do you actually prefer being single? Would you, If you had the option to be in a relationship, a good relationship, would you choose to be in that relationship? Then definitely the majority is choosing yes, I would go for the relationship. Like 80% of the people that are single, if they had the choice, they would prefer being in a relationship. So it's not all choice. It's not, you know, it's it's something, something is going wrong basically here. And that's why, why I started studying online dating and what we know from psychology, more general psychology, actually more economic uh, models, economic decision-making is that there's something called the paradox of choice. And that means that as humans, we love having choice, you know, it feels like freedom to us. And if we go to the grocery store and we just walk through, a, uh, through, the, through the shop and we see this shelf with like um, maybe even like uh, 50 packages of different cornflakes and you can decide which one you would prefer. In the, in, in the first instance, people love it. It's like, yes, I can just, I can pick my favorite taste. But then if you go get down to that and try to make a decision for a certain flavor of cornflakes, then that's really difficult because how on earth are you gonna pick between so many options? And we know from economic decision-making that having all these choice options comes with psychological uh, downsides. And basically what happens is two things. So first off, people um, put off making the decision. So they, they postpone, they're like, I'm not ready to pick one flavor of cornflakes yet. I need more time. So they take more time making the decision. And then when they finally make the decision and pick one taste of, you know, one package of Mm -hmm. cornflakes, they end up being less satisfied with their final pick than if they would have less choice. So if they only could have chosen between three different packages, then they would have ended up more satisfied. So not making decision, freezing basically, and being less satisfied with the final outcome that you have. And I used this paradigm, and I sort of placed it onto Tinder, and and I was interested in is this is the same thing happening in online dating? Is all this choice that is, you know, getting us on getting us on the apps, is it actually sort of coming with these psychological downsides? And that's what I what I studied. So I created a paradigm in which I sort of uh, stole stole <laughs> stole the paradigm of Tinder, and I uh, gave. People uh, partner choices, so they would just see a picture of a potential partner on their uh, uh, on their screen, and just like Tinder, they could swipe left or right, so they can basically accept or reject a partner. And what I was interested in is seeing how these choices would, if they would change over time. Th- over time, and my prediction was that if we have all these psychological downsides from choice overloads. Then what you would see is that people would become more rejecting over time, more likely to say no, to sort of push, push back and, and not make the decision and also becoming less satisfied with the people that they did decide to accept. And that is exactly what, what I found.
0: So I, in my experience, too, with the dating apps, I. Um, I also found, and I guess this is really, it's like a more rejecting mindset, but I also found that I became more judgmental because it was like, you know, if someone makes, if I meet someone in person and they say maybe an off joke that I don't think is funny, or they say, they say something weird and I'm like, oh, that's weird but you're able to like recover in person potentially Mm -hmm. or, or, or actually completely be written off, you know, depending on the situation, but, but you're able to recover in person in a way that maybe online is less um, applicable. Like if someone says, you know, if I don't like one picture or I think they say a dumb joke on the profile, I will definitely swipe left. Whereas in person, people are able to recover in a way that, 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 is just not applicable online, um, and so did you find is that is judgment also related in the rejection mindset? Like, did that come up at all?
1: Yeah, a little bit. So what I saw is that um, in one of my studies, I also asked the people, uh, so they got uh, uh, blocks of pictures, so blocks of profiles that they that they uh, judged and they decided to accept or reject. And after ten, after each block of ten pictures, I asked them, so overall what did you think of the quality of the picture? So did you like the people that you, that you saw? And what we saw is that people actually over time started to become more critical, even though the quality mm-hmm. of the pictures were the same. We, we kept that the same, you know, it was completely randomized. So that's, that, that didn't occur. So it, it stayed, objectively stayed the same, but people just got more and more picky, more actually less excited, less impressed by the people they saw, and that's also really in line with this overall paradox of choice is what ha- what's happening is that our expectations just rise and they rise higher to the extent that we have more choice. Mm-hmm. So why would you even give a person a chance if they make a stupid joke online, if you have like hundred other people to, uh, that, that follow up and that you can also decide uh, uh, to see? Yeah, we become less forgiving and, and more, uh, more picky.
0: So the rejection mindset is basically when we hit a point where we have too many choices, we actually become more rejecting, critical, and are less likely to be satisfied with the option that we end up choosing. Yeah,
1: totally. Yeah. So then
0: how, so then what do we do? How do we date effectively online? Like if, like, how, is there a way to prevent I think you said in your article like dating burnout or something yeah like yeah like how do we prevent this dating burnout if we want to continue dating and 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 finding a, and finding partners that suit us like how do we date effectively online so we don't develop that is there a way to combat it
1: yeah I, I think there is so what is very a very good and important and easy remedy or easy um is uh to sort of put yourself on a tinder diet you know prevent yourself <laughs> from seeing so many choices. Oh. And we know that, that in general, when people are online, uh, 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 sort of um, uh, an average amount of profiles that they see in one session is 140. 140 profiles they screen like in one Tinder session. That's wow. insane. Just imagine being in a bar with 140 potential partners. You know That's a lot of people. So that's not the way to go about it. You need to make sure that you take your time and here, sort of executive control comes into play as well, because we also know that people make these, these dating decisions in a split second. So they barely even look at a profile, especially guys. Yeah. Sorry, but that's just, they just see the picture. They don't even read anything. They just see and then they decide. So, um, you know, try again, uh, as, as I just mentioned, you know, it takes work. You know, you have to take your time, read, be sort of careful and gentle and, and imagine and sort of It's not a pair of shoes that you're seeing online. It's an actual person. So try to look at this this profile as that you're seeing a, a person. thing. It's like you're watching a person that took time to create this profile and sort of respect that. And then, you know, see maybe five or maximum 10 profiles and then close your app. And, you know, maybe wait a day or if you're very anxious in order for, to find a partner, wait at least a couple of hours in order to get new energy and, and look at the app again. So that's sort of an easy thing that you could uh, do for yourself to be more successful in the apps.
0: And so did they, uh, overwhelmingly, this was the evidence that people, when presented with too much choice, it's, Mm. it just leads us to be overly critical and and picky and that contributes to that's one of the reasons that maybe people that online date frequently are single or more single than ever kind of
1: well that's the conclusion and i i don't have like very strong evidence for that but that's i think what is one of the reasons why we we are still single because it's like you know we we live in this world of choice and it's um it's also very important to acknowledge that evolutionary speaking Dating is so weird right now, you know, we've never been exposed to this uh, amount of choice ever before, and we, we are still animals, you know, we are not so different than, than we are we, we were like 100 years ago, so our brains are not wired completely differently, so we are inept to deal with, with this level of choice, it's, we have to relearn how to deal with choice, we have to relearn how to deal with all these options that are out there in the world. And I think technology can, in the end, also help us a little bit here as as well, because what is a problem on the apps, or at least on a lot of these apps, is that you get just a random selection of people. And most of these people, I think 95% of these people are just not, you know, you will never be interested in this person. You know, this just, it's, it's because they have such a different background. They just, they they don't have anything in common with you. You, you know, and that makes us a bit weary and a bit sad. Like, no, I, I'm never going to find anyone. Nobody is, is nice or nobody is a match for me. So yeah. I think also there's work for the apps. You know, they need to present us with better, you know, catered choices. So less choice, but of, uh, you know, higher uh, probability that this person will be a good match for you personally. Mm, mm. Final, final question. Um,
0: If you don't have any other comments regarding your research or anything else that you want to say, do you?
1: No, no, I think (laughs) it's just been wonderful. (laughs) So what
0: have you learned most about relationships, I guess, you know, when you first began your research or or your own experiences. And then now, what like what is your theory or or not even theory, but like, you know, what have you learned the most in your studies regarding relationships? Like and how has that changed?
1: Mm. Nice.
0: Wow. (laughs) A
1: very broad question. So I think I already sort of tattooed into it a little bit, but for me personally, I am a person that's really uh, rational. So uh, I am—I I consider myself an intelligent uh, woman, and I've—I've oh, I've been very disciplined. I have a very high level of ex- executive control myself. So mm-hmm. I've, I'm very easily, you know, reaching my goals and getting my targets. And I always consider myself, you know, a good partner. And and mm-hmm. I, I'm, I just have this high level of control, and I've been very focused on that in the beginning of my career as well. But then also because, you know, my personal uh, circumstances changed. I, I, I was in a marriage and I was cheated on and I was always like the person in control and working so hard for that marriage to work. And I never really acknowledged the emotions that I was experiencing in that marriage. I never was honest enough to sort of realize that my alarm signal was going off all the time but I used all this control and all this rationalization and all this effort to keep myself in a relationship that was just not working. So now I got out of the relationship and I started to look more into emotions. And I think for me, the biggest lesson in the last decade has definitely been acknowledging emotions, seeing the value of emotions in our experiences of love. And emotions are difficult, you know, they, especially the hard ones, the anger, the sadness, the frustration, the, you know, the desires that you cannot meet, but they are worthy and they deserve our attention. So look closely into your emotions, Mm -hmm. acknowledge them and, and know that they're trying to tell you something. So that's been my lesson.
0: Thank you so much. This was so, this was so great. What are you researching now? Or what? Uh,
1: well, I am still researching uh, online dating a bit. So I'm, I'm, I'm going, I'm continuing that. I'm also studying infidelity again. I, you know, I'm just doing all these things uh, across the board. Also transition to parenthood is something that I currently got into. Um, so that's, you know, Like for I'm yourself just or it. you're studying it? well i am a mother so i i have three kids um but it's something that's very interesting uh, uh, as well because it has such a huge impact on relationships if you if you change from being only partners to being parents as well and that's is really difficult transition so so the impact of of becoming parents on your relationship um is is something that i also find very interesting yeah i'm, I'm really interested in that yeah, um... yeah.
0: Thank you so much. It's been really, really amazing. I really, really appreciate you coming on. And I've learned a lot. As always, thank you for listening. You can find Dr. Tila Pronk on Instagram at Tila, T-I-L-A dot Pronk, P-R-O-N-K. And on Twitter at Tila Pronk all of the research that we discussed will be linked in the show notes. I encourage you to read some of the articles. They're really interesting. You can find me on Instagram at psychandthecitybk, or you can reach out to me on my website at sarah-kelleher.com. Thanks for listening.